All right, um, without uh, further ado, um, hi everybody and welcome to our next Iron Journal Club. Uh, I'm your host, uh, Ben Greisler. I'm a hospitalist at Mass General Hospital in Boston, Massachusetts, and I'm also a researcher at uh, LMU Munich in Germany. And we are incredibly uh, privileged to today as we could not have a better discussant. Dr. Isaacs is a pulsarologist at Penn and among many other words, the author of the up-to-date crowd on the topic. I will introduce him uh, in more detail when we get to the Q&A. Dr. Isaacs, uh, as, I, as I explained to you, our audience is a mix of uh, clinicians, mostly uh, hospitalists, MDs, DOs, and uh, MPPAs, and uh, other general internists uh, with a few internal medicine residents and also a few ID trained dogs uh, sprinkled in. And we also have some uh, epidemiologists, statisticians, data scientists, and public health folks. And so uh, welcome everyone. Uh, I will, uh, after some very brief background, present a case series on uh, monkeypox uh, patients from the UK. Uh, I will really try to fly through this so that we have as much time as possible for the Q&A. If you'd like to re-watch re it, we will put the video on YouTube. And you can already uh, start putting questions for Dr. Isaacs in the chat, and we will get to them uh, when we start the Q&A. Um, and uh, so back to the study type, it might be a little bit unusual uh, to journal club a case series, uh, but uh, you guys might remember a case report, a case series from uh, Munich, Germany, about the first recognized transmission of SARS-CoV-2 from an asymptomatic in individual, or just to say that a case, a case series may be helpful in uh, highlighting very early trends and features of a disease or a syndrome. So in terms of background, uh, even though uh, monkeypox may have been discovered in Denmark in monkeys in the late 50s and the later in humans in the 1970s in what is now Congo, it seems fair to say that monkeypox has been until very recently a neglected tropical disease. Uh, past cases in developed countries uh, have mostly occurred in returning travelers or through imported animals, except for a small uh, human to human outbreak in the US in 2003. It's in the same uh, genus orthopox virus as uh, variola, the causative agent of the now eradicated smallpox, uh, as well as uh, cowpox, uh, the uh, OG smallpox uh, vaccine. And so monkeypox is this brick-like uh, virus particle of virion containing double-stranded DNA. Uh, under an electron uh, microscope, it might be uh, indistingu indistinguishable from uh, other pox viruses. Uh, the externally enveloped uh, a virion features various proteins that might either facilitate entry to the host cell or interact with the, uh, with the immune system of the host. Uh, so the reservoir is mostly mentioned as being rodents, uh, though as discussed on a recent episode of This Week in Virology, a podcast, this may not be definitely proven yet. Also, it would raise the question if uh, pets uh, could harbor the virus. In Western and Central Africa, monkeypox had been an endemic had been an endemic had been an endemic disease, 
uh, with two different clades. The Central African clade uh, seems to have uh, more effective I1 beta binding protein, uh, which might be better at suppressing the human immune system response uh, and might therefore have uh, a higher uh, mortality than the uh, West African clade. Uh, per the latest ProMed mail, there are now over uh, 300 cases in over uh, 20 countries um, recognized, which per uh, WHO official is unusual. Uh, she said, um, we normally have only a handful of cases exported to non-endemic countries. Uh, we have unknowns about the origin of sudden outbreaks in non-endemic countries. And they also said that the current outbreak uh, can be contained if we act now. A hundred of these cases uh, seem to have occurred in Great Britain and about uh, 25 in Spain. There is speculation that some of these cases are secondary to index patients who attended LGBTQ events in Spain and Belgium. As is public knowledge, uh, we have had a case of monkeypox at, uh, at the Mass General. Uh, this was a case with likely a transmission within the US. And there was a plan to vaccinate the clinicians uh, caring directly for the patient with a uh, specific uh, monkeypox uh, virus vaccine at juniors. And now we will discuss the clinical features and management by a recently published uh, case series. The first author is Dr. Hugh Adler from uh, Liverpool, United Kingdom. And the case series was published less than a week ago in the Lancet ID. Uh, thank you to Dr. Nino Neumann for suggesting the paper for this occasion. The authors describe all seven cases that uh, occurred in the UK over a series uh, um, of 37 months prior to October 2021. They used a PCR of various tissues and fluids and described the response to two different uh, antivirals. These are the baseline uh, characteristics of, as you can see, four cases were acquired in Nigeria, in West Africa, which may explain the full recovery of all patients, and three in the UK, except uh, for an infant, everybody was between 30 and 40 years old, and therefore not vaccinated against uh, smallpox. Aside from lymphadenopathy in 71% uh, of cases, uh, patients had uh, between 30 and 150 concurrent lesions over skin and mucous membranes uh, in the entire body. Uh, complications included uh, adjustment disorder and delayed healing of lesions, including uh, deep tissue abscess in one patient. And DNA was isolated from various, uh, virus DNA was isolated from various uh, body fluids, not mentioning it, uh, but on, on other graphs is uh, PCR from unroofed uh, skin lesions. So uh, you see a couple of sample lesions here, uh, A and D show uh, vesicles or pustules, uh, the ones in F and G may be a little bit more subtle. Um, and then in B and C, you see uh, more macular appearing lesions on uh, palms and soles. And then D and E here show uh, subuncle lesions. And the one in E here is maybe already stepped over. And then in H here, you see in panel H, you see an ultrasound that was obtained while draining a deep abscess that complicated the cause of one patient. Uh, 
the authors summarized the causes of their patients in these colorful graphs. You can see uh, one patient here with an active skin lesion uh, and within 21 days, uh, the presumed maximum incubation period is 21 days. Uh, the next patient has uh, skin lesions already. Uh, and in these patients, you can see that various uh, PCRs were obtained uh, and uh, from various uh, uh, fluids. Here again, as mentioned, blood and upper respiratory tract. Uh, on these graphs, you can see the PCR cycle threshold or CT number, which may you may be familiar with from COVID-19 over time. And the higher the CT number, the less virus. Um, so black is the ulcerated uh, lesion, and the other lights indicate other uh, bodily fluids. And then the dashed line here is uh, indicates when the rash was present. Uh, the gray area is when they were under the care of their special uh, pathogens team. And the black arrows here indicate here and down here indicate uh, when an antiviral was given. In patient one, only one dose could be uh, given. And in patient two doses, uh, brincidofovir brin was the one uh, given in these two patients. But in these two patients, uh, only so few doses could be given because they had uh, LFT elevations. Uh, you see here the ALT over time. And you can see the first dose to patient one in uh, gray circles here given spikes uh, um, shortly after the first dose, and then patient two is in uh, in blue um, Q in blue uh, in, in green rectangles receives two doses, and then also has a spike in the uh, ALT um, in the serum ALT. ALT. There were also three patients that uh, did not receive antivirals, and one patient who received another antiviral. Uh, Tetraviramed, which uh, did not have to be stopped for adverse events. Length of stay was between 10 and 35 days, and all patients had a full recovery. So some quick takeaways from the study. A direct contact, not necessarily during, but also before, after, or even without sexual uh, intercourse seems to be necessary for most human-to-human -human transmissions. Droplet transmissions may be uh, from possibly unrecognized mucous membrane lesions. Skin lesions may at first be subtle, but it's important to examine the entire skin, including uh, palms and soles, and consider sending various tissues and fluids, including from the unroof lesions for PCR. The antiviral acidophobia uh, may cause LFT elevations, which may prompt it to be stopped. Uh, remember that patients may or may not develop a deep abscess uh, and may have uh, severe pain from this, unclear what causes this. PPE will, of course, be prescribed by uh, your infection control team who may also contact trace uh, cases and obviously uh, involved uh, should be special uh, pathogens uh, team, teams, which is kind of the perfect segue for today's discussion. Dr. Stuart Isaacs. Dr. Isaacs attended Brandeis University and Yale University School of Medicine. He trained at Temple School of Medicine in Internal Medicine and Tufts School of Medicine in ID. 
uh, at the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. Uh, Dr. Isaac did a postdoc in molecular virology. He runs a pox uh, virus lab at the University of Pennsylvania, where he currently is an associate professor of medicine and has held various leader leadership positions, including associate dean for animal research. He attends at the Philadelphia VA, where it is currently his first day of service. And when we contacted him, Dr. Isaac stated that it was certainly an interesting time to be a pox virologist. You can only imagine that he gets a lot of emails and requests. So bearing that in mind as well that it's his first day of service, it is absolutely wonderful that you could join us today, Dr. Isaac. Thank you so kindly. Yeah, thank, thanks for the invite. That was a great summary of the case and cases and uh, happy to be here. Um, so maybe I can get us started with the question. Uh, please feel free to put uh, questions in the chat. Uh, so um, the most obvious question on everybody's mind might be, might be what is causing the, the current uh, outbreak? What is different about the virus or the circumstances that surround the transmissions? Yeah, hey. Thanks. Thanks so much. Yeah, that that is the million dollar question right now. And this is very unusual. Uh, I'd agree with what the WHO people are saying that, you know, this this what's happening now is not to be fully expected. And just to clarify on those the cases you summarized that the UK published uh, because we all need more information about uh, human monkeypox in the Western hemispheres, um, is, is um, those, were, those cases are not really typical of what the cases we're now seeing here. So I'm not sure about the sexual transmit, you know, that statement you said. So that was, you know, clearly cases who got infected in um, an endemic area and then traveled and either came down with the illness or were getting sick on the way to the UK. And then the transmissions were, I think, within a household and then a healthcare, a, uh, someone in the healthcare system uh, came, came down with it through, through potential handling of infected materials uh, without PPE, without proper PPE on. So, so those cases, you know, if all the cases going on now were clearly imported cases from endemic areas, I, I think we'd be less nervous and less uh, we're raising alarms about what's going on. It's the current cases that, you know, having so many countries and then with apparent infections in people who had not traveled, so showing some community spread going on. And so this is all quite unusual and uh, we need just a lot more epidemiology information to understand the interconnectedness and where these people might be acquiring monkeypox. Um, yeah. Um, and so aside from uh, what was contained in that case study, what is your message to clinicians on the call? What should they bear in mind when they see a suspected case of monkeypox? Yeah, well, and the great, um, with the great education that's going on now to even 
have people put monkeypox in, in their differential when they're seeing someone coming with lesions. And now more so focusing on that a lot of these cases were presenting to uh, STI, sexually transmitted infection clinics, where you know there were lesions in the genital area, and potentially oh, that's the only place where um, where lesions were genital, uh, rectal areas. Um, so you know to even raise the uh, potential is could this be a uh, monkeypox and not you know, syphilis or not um, herpes. And, you know, that's one thing in raising the alarm to have people think about it, potentially test um, if there are no other uh, uh, known diagnosis to explain this. So what I, th what I really think, and not to make the same mistakes that were made during COVID is, to have the ability to test for this pretty easily and not re require, um, like in the US, all samples are going to the CDC for uh, confirmation testing. But I, I think it would be really useful to have more widespread ability to test to say, is this an orthopox virus um, to at least begin to, to, to quarantine and tell, and patients to limit contact to not have contact with others mm -hmm. and there's one question um will we be able to stop uh, the epidemic without vaccination of risk groups or larger groups of msm men who have sex with men or will we need vaccination of these groups yeah you know it's going to be too early. I think it's too early yet to say what the public health response is going to be to this, because with, with if you if you could stop the transmissions by isolating or and or just telling people not to have close intimate contact um, with other people, you can stop the transmission train. But if this if there's more and more uh, community spread without knowing sources of where this is going, then I think there would be a more dramatic public health response to begin um, to do ring vaccination, not do widespread uh, population-based vaccinations, but to try and vaccinate communities that are having this close contact. Um, and once again, that's part of the epidemiology that we really need to define is where, where these people are, are getting the infection. Mm -hmm. And a related question, should healthcare workers be vaccinated? And again, if who? Yeah, no, another good question. You know, in, so in preparedness and this in the United States back in uh, post 9-11 and then with the anthrax uh, attacks that were bioterror attacks in the United States where anthrax was sent through the mail and there were a couple of deaths and uh, infections um, from anthrax. There was a big response similar to what, maybe not as big as what we've seen to COVID, but a, a real, uh, thrust of resources for, for research and development of countermeasures. And at the time it was 
They were most concerned about anthrax and smallpox. And that's really where some of the, these therapeutics that were mentioned, though the, the pipeline for those therapeutics were developed during that time in the early 2000s. And then in more recent years, those drugs got FDA approved here in the United States. And similarly, a safer smallpox vaccine was also important uh, to have in the stockpile. And that's how Genios was uh, ultimately chosen as, as the third generation smallpox vaccine. And this is an incredibly safe vaccine has to be given as a prime and a boost. So the, the historical smallpox vaccine is a single, va uh, a single vaccination, gave uh, pretty prolonged immunity, certainly from serious uh, smallpox and death. Um, but uh, Genios needs a prime and a boost, um, but is a very much safer vaccine. And I think really fortunate that we have that in our toolkit because it's a much easier vaccine to suggest giving to people than the historical vaccine, um, which you know we see what the reactions have been to getting COVID vaccinations, which are incredibly safe and very cool. Um, the, the historical vaccine, I think, would be a tough sell if uh, for people. So uh, it's really fortunate that we have uh, Genios. Yeah, I guess the adverse events are way more frequent with these original uh, smallpox vaccines than with modern uh, COVID-19 vaccines, for example. Um, in terms of treatments, um, the two antivirals uh, that were in that case series um, in Sadafavir, yeah. Did yeah, you have a fine. preference for either of them? One of them, uh, Prince Adolfavir, seems to have been uh, implicated in these LFT elevations uh, that uh, were in the slide. So, yeah, so I, I do have a preference of the Tecaviramat, which is, a, you know, uh, I saw that drug develop from its very infant days in the world of pox virology. Um, you showed in your introductory slides some of these, that po the pox virus life cycle is very cool. It makes two types of infectious virions, this extracellular virus, which has an extra viral membrane on it, and a mature virus, which is also has a membrane. So this is it has a single me a membrane virus and then a doubly membrane virus. And, and during pathogenesis, both forms of virus are really important. It's thought that the mature virus, which is the virus that can be dried down to a powder and used as the vaccine, um, is, is the virus that's probably transmitted. It's, it's the virus that just builds up in a cell and you become like a balloon filled with marbles and that's all mature virions sitting in, in that cell that either gets burst open or gets coughed out and desquamates and dries and is the form of transmission. Those pustules are just chock full of mature, mature virus. The extracellular virus has this extra membrane. It, it buds through the, the mature virus, buds through the Golgi, and then gets an exocytose from the cell. And that, that virus turns out to be really important for spread within the host, that if to infect the next cell or distant cells, that 
EEV, that extracellular virus, EV is really important. And Tecaviramat shuts off the production of that extracellular virus. So you still make all this tons of virus in the body, but you're not allowing the virus to spread within the host and it allows the host immune system to catch up and kind of take care of the infection. So Tecaviramat is, you know, is cool. The Brinsadafavir, which is a analog of Sadafavir, was, um, I forget the chemistry, uh, to, to make a bio, orally bioavailable uh, Sadafavir. Um, and uh, Brinsadafavir was then developed for pox virus as well as it the company tried to get other indications for other uh, viral infections. And so it inhibits the polymerase. And, um, you know, the dose needed is to, to, uh, to show activity is fairly high. And, you know, I think could be part of the reason why you have the elevated LFTs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then this question may be a, a little bit provocative, but uh, do you think there is just a, uh, better surveillance, uh, maybe there's um, cases that are now recognized that uh, might have already been there in the past, or is this clearly um, higher numbers than we've seen in, in prior years? Well, yeah, so, you know, certainly what I think most people are now seeing, given the numbers um, out there, is that there, and that there isn't clear connectedness between each of the cases occurring now is that there may have been a, a introduction of this virus earlier than the initially reported cases and that it there's in some uh, community groups there has been some ongoing transmissions going on that were not detected uh, until now and that that's kind of why we continue to see identifying cases because there, uh, there may be some other pockets of it. You know, and so what's really interesting is that we have had over the years importations of monkeypox in infected patients without this community spread. And so what potentially has happened now is it's gotten into a certain group where the transmissions from close intimate contact is happening more, more, uh, more efficiently. And that just didn't happen before. You, you had mentioned the first outbreak of monkeypox outside of Africa in the West was at, in the United States. And that was related to the importation of some exotic animals from Africa for uh, ostensibly for pets that people wanted these exotic animals. And then in a distributor a distribution center, those animals came in close contact or direct contact with prairie dogs, which also in the United States, certain communities uh, use as pets. And turns out prairie dogs were incredibly susceptible to monkeypox. And so, uh, prairie dogs were infected by, um, by the uh, rodents that were imported from Africa. And then the, the prairie dogs were distributed into households and became sick and bit or scratched um, 
uh, owners, and those owners came down with uh, with monkeypox. So, but in that case, you know, almost all the cases were direct. You could show directly that they had interactions with the sick prairie dogs. There was a lot of veterinarians and veterinarian techs that also got infected from people bringing their sick animals to the vet. Um, and there was really no clear evidence of any human to human transmission in, uh, in that 2003 outbreak. And the outbreak cases were identified. It went a typical outbreak uh, curve where cases were identified, they peaked and came down and there were no further cases of monkeypox. But something very different is happening right now. We're still, that curve is still going up. I, it hasn't started to come down and that's what's raising all the concerns. Mm -hmm. um, fascinating. Um, we have another question about uh, vaccination. Um, should we support endemic countries in vaccination programs against monkeypox to avoid new yeah. epidemics? Yeah, you know, so that that this much of this was all predictable in the endemic countries that you know uh, during the smallpox eradication program and during smallpox widespread smallpox vaccination um, that uh, protected against monkeypox and a decision was made after the eradication of smallpox was not to continue vaccinating um, with smallpox vaccine in Africa. And part of that was due to the historical smallpox vaccine and the adverse events and, and things that were seen with it, that they were worried, I think, of doing more harm than good. Um, but once you stop vaccinating and the population no longer has any immunity to the orthopox viruses, it was predicted that there would be a rise in cases of monkeypox in, in uh, Central Africa and, and Western Africa. And, and epidemiological studies have clearly shown that, that it's, it's, there's much more human uh, monkeypox cases due to a combination of both, you know, environmental factors where people are, you know, getting closer city, place, living conditions are getting closer to jungles where they are, may come in contact with animals. And then the travel of people from jungled areas into the, into the more populated cities where um, there's more and more human cases. And so the CDC is actually doing a study right now with Genios in, a, in Africa to test. It's not a randomized controlled trial. Um, it's more of an observational study of people who are being vaccinated for, and comparing it to historical controls. Um, but that is a question whether, um, whether it will make sense to vaccinate in the endemic countries to prevent these human animal to human transmissions that, uh, you know, over time, the more and more introductions into humans, there could be the, uh, you know, concern of uh, mutations happening that would make it a more, uh, a virus that can more easily spread person to person than, than the current virus. Yeah. And I'm sure the maker of Junius uh, is looking into ramping up production. Uh, probably in the past, they've only worked to supply the 
national strategic uh, stockpiles, but now there's, uh, um, you know, at Mass General, they, they, th they, they thought about uh, vaccinating the, the healthcare workers in direct contact with the patient. Um, and then there might be countries who are interested in purchasing more yeah. vaccine. Do, do you happen to know how expensive uh, it is at the moment? I, I do not. I do not. You know, the, the U.S. and I couldn't even tell you what the U.S. government paid for its 300 million dose uh, stockpile here here in the U.S. Um, I, I do not know that. But my, my understanding at the Mass General, at least, and you, since you guys are connected with it, you may know more than I, but I, I thought they, they were risk gratifying um, people, at least who were in contact with, uh, with the, the, the more, more recent patient who will spend time in the hospital for a number of days before a monkeypox diagnosis was made. And so they risk gratified people and then offered vaccine to, as post-exposure prophylaxis. I, I really, and I get the question a lot about, well, should we be vaccinating doctor, you know, ER, doctors, ER dermatologists, um, sexually transmitted infection workers um, uh, who, who, who man sexually transmitted infection clinics, should we vaccinate those prophylactically? And, you know, again, I'm not sure we're there yet. Um, Especially in this time of COVID, I know when I faced having face-to-face -face contact with patients that I am seeing, even non-COVID infected patients, the PPE we're wearing now routinely, which includes eye protection, a face mask, you know, not not always a gown, but um, certainly gloves. Where you know, in the U.S., we as clinicians, we did not, we're not wearing masks. We were not always wearing eye protection. So I think the risk of a clinician or a healthcare worker who's interacting with a patient in a normal encounter where the patient's usually masked, the, the provider is certainly masked, that it's really going to be unlikely to have a exposure in, uh, in that um, setting. I do worry about some of the ancillary staff, you know, the people who change, who clean the room, change the bed sheets and all. Someone with active monkeypox or any of these orthopox viruses, the virus is just desquamating off their skin, off of those lesions into the bed sheets and their clothing and things like that. And I think those were the high, more high risk exposures that occurred at the Mass General with that index case that recently was there. Mm -hmm. um, you mentioned these prairie darts who were infected during the 2003 outbreak in the US. Uh, how do you judge the risk of uh, um, this becoming endemic in Europe, Northern America, and other parts yeah. of the world by uh, infection through local animals? That great question. You know, uh, what we're saying is a reverse zoonosis where humans are the vector and they infect animals and it brings hold. And that is a concern. It was certainly a concern in 2003, especially with the prairie dogs and with the news uh, going out about how these infected prairie dogs, um, that uh, public health was very concerned that people were going to just 
release the animals into their uh, into their environment and get them out of the house. Um, and there was definitely concern that uh, that some other species would then become a good host for monkeypox outside of Africa. Um, that was carefully watched, looked for no additional human cases, but I think animals were also uh, um, uh, captured and, and looked for to see if there was ev any evidence of transmissions out in, in nature and none was found. So that's reassuring. Um, this number of patients currently out there um, right now i there is a concern about uh transmissions to uh, to a species that would then be able to continue to propagate it that was actually seen in um back in the day of smallpox eradication with the smallpox vaccines this live growing vaccine that was a scarification on the arm that was exposed and could, you could spread it to other people who you were having close contact. But there, there are some animal reservoirs of, of the old smallpox vaccines in India and South America, where um, these animals have pox lesions now 30 years later. And if you sequence those, uh, those viruses, they're, they're most related to the vaccines that were used back during smallpox eradication. And that was all felt to be from human contact with their uh, domesticated animals and then transmissions that then persist to this day. Um, so that's certainly a concern um, and hopefully not an outcome of the current outbreak. Mm -hmm. uh, speaking of sequencing, uh, sequencing, uh, there probably haven't been that many um, um, genome sequence in the current outbreak, uh, but there seem to be some early uh, indications. Uh, I think there were some uh, genomes posted on, on a website called a Next Strain and a discussion on virological.org. Uh, that there have been quite a number of mutations in the current in the virus implicated in the current outbreak, over 40. Uh, while this is usually a pretty slowly mutating virus, uh, could that explain uh, that this uh, could that mean that this virus is possibly more transmissible? Yeah, uh, I so I have not seen that. The information I'd seen was just that at least some of the initial sequences uh, were. Um, that these were from West Africa, from Nigeria, similar to the uh, to the um, to 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 strains back in 2018 and 2019, and so that was good. You know, Western Africa, a less virulent strain than what's being seen in central out of Central Africa. Um, but, you know, so all viruses have some, you know, this is a large DNA virus that has a high fidelity polymerase that doesn't like to make errors, but errors, you know, these viruses replicate rapidly and er errors are made. Um, and I think there's always going to be some, uh, you know, point mutations. I'm not sure what mutations have been described, but, um, uh, the the thought right now, uh, given that these the the it seems like the infections are from very close, almost skin skin to skin contact.
that I don't know yet if we could say, oh, this is spreading through less, uh, less more casual contact, and that that would be uh, that would be more concerning. Mm -hmm. And then there's another question about treatment. Uh, the question reads, who really needs a tetraviramid? Uh, yeah. In that case series, I noted uh, they only had very small numbers, but uh, the two out of seven patients who weren't treated with an antiviral also did fine. And this is the Western yeah. African uh, strain. strain uh, yeah, so yeah. So two important points is, People with monkeypox don't need to be hospitalized most of the time, you know. So what's, you know, is part of this hospitalization just for to ensure isolation, and then most of the time, most patients don't need treatment. This is a self, you know, it will heal on on its own. Um, but from what I've heard from the more these later these uh, the current outbreak. Is that some some of these patients have very painful lesions in various parts of their body, and by treating, the thought is to begin to allow healing to occur more, more rapidly. So that may be an indication for treatment. Would be someone who has extremely painful lesions um, that that you want to start treating. The other is if it was gotten into an immunocompromised person. Um, very young uh, patients might have a poorer outcome and may be someone you may want to treat earlier rather than uh, just allowing it to take its course. But you're right, most of, the most of these are not being treated, um, do not need treatment. And I think part of it is us as doctors, we want to, an infection is there, we want to do something and treat the infection. And you don't always have to treat. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. This deep abscess that uh, was in that case, or is that probably also surprised you? Or have you heard of anything similar? Is this something well, we should look for if somebody really has very painful lesions? Well, no, well, yeah, I mean, I've heard of cases of proctitis um, where the lesions are there, very severe, uh, severe lesions around the mouth um, has been another case I've heard about. Um, but yeah, so, you know, it's interesting back in the day during smallpox, um, you know, a lot of these infect, a lot of these lesions became super infected and mm -hmm. how much of bacterial infections also assisted, led to the morbid, morbidity and mortality of smallpox, um, during the centuries uh, that it plagued humankind is, is a good question because certainly in some animal models with certain uh, pox viruses, um, not specifically orthopox viruses, but sometimes the bacterial super infection that these animals get um, actually lead to death, not so much from the virus, but from the, the bacterial infection. So, I, a deep infection like this, I'm not quite sure the you know the pathogenesis, whether it began as a skin lesion that then uh, you know uh, went down instead of up um, as a as to cause the bacterial infection and an abscess. But then also as you saw, a lot of 
you have viremias occurring with these uh, pox viruses, which is really the cause of the widespread rash when it does happen. It happens from a viremic phase of, of the virus. I, you know, you could imagine that, at, you know, that viremia, if it's also carried in cells, that a, uh, a abscess um, or a fluid filled area might be an area where this gets inoculated and you find it there too. Is, uh, is blood uh, a more sensitive bodily fluid to do your PCR on than a vesicle? No, probably not. No, the vesicles is definitely, you're going to find virus there. The blood is, you know, looking at some of those graphs, not everyone was, uh, you, it's sometimes hard in experimental animals. It's sometimes hard to find uh, the, 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 the persistent uh, viremia. So, um, you know, we, we have animal models where we intravenously uh, give monkeypox to non-human primates to test therapeutics and or um, and and or uh, vaccines and um, you know so certainly giving it that way you get a viremia and then over time that viremia comes down uh, mm -hmm. so the the lesion if the lesion's available that that's that's where the money is to, to for a diagnosis mm -hmm. And then our final question is, uh, do you think there could be asymptomatic transmissions? Yeah, that's another, you know, that's another great question. Um, and I, I don't think we know enough yet. I mean, one of the reasons smallpox was a disease that we were eradicate was there was no asymptomatic spreading of disease that anyone who got smallpox who could spread it develops lesions um, and then you did the ring vaccination and you found and you were able to squelch it. So, so in Africa, if during zero epidemiological studies to kind of see how there's more antibodies against pox viruses in Africa, then there is people saying, oh, I had monkey pox. So there may be a um, mild disease and or uh, potentially asymptomatic disease. Mm -hmm. so, so that could exist. Now, whether that is able to spread is a question we don't know. And it's thought not, but you know, could that also be the explanation for this current outbreaks? Because you know, during close intimate contact, if someone has obvious lesions, you know, I, I would think people would hesitate uh, to have any uh, that type of contact. So, so that's a good question. And I, I think we don't know the answer yet to that for the current outbreak. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you to the audience for the great questions. And of course, thank you so much, Dr. Isaacs, for spending some time with us. That was incredibly illuminating. Thank you again. Appreciate the invite. Love talking to my colleagues at, in Boston, around the world, um, and uh, we'll see where this goes. This is quite fascinating, and uh, you know, as, as I said at the that, as Ben said, it's an interesting time to be a pox virologist right now. That's for sure. For sure. So thanks for the invite. Thank you. Bye now. Bye all.